invest in yourself, invest in yourself, whether that's reading a stupid amount of books or hiring a coach, bringing in someone to, to help and encourage you. And this can kind of go along with, with that last one, knowing that you, you are worth it. You have the ability to do this, but it, it does. There are so many things that you probably don't know. So take some of your funds or set aside some of your funds and, and invest in yourself. everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. So if you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time with us to chat. Now, today we've got another great uh, podcast, or guest on the podcast, if I don't get too tongue-tied, um, which is uh, Joe Newton, and i uh, give you a, a quick introduction to Joe. So, um, has a degree in classical acting from college, and then uh, got heavily involved in the community. Um, afterwards, he moved back, or moved to Dallas, where he's from after, or back to Dallas after school, and started a nonprofit theater with a high school buddy, um, started to, and then... Uh, started to also run a small coffee shop, I think, and then realized that uh, they should hire out, or he told the, his employer that he was helping to run the coffee shop, that they should hire out his job and uh, promote someone else. And so he talked himself out of a job, um, but then his wife encouraged him to get into real estate. So did that for a period of time um, and uh, learned about the systems and processes to make a profitable business and uh, make that consistent. And then uh, until about a year ago was figuring that out and then systematized it. And that brings him to where he's at with his business today. So with that much as introduction, welcome on the podcast, Joe. Hey, Devin. Thanks for the introduction. It's good to be here, man. Absolutely. So I just compacted a much longer journey into about 30 seconds. So let's unpack that a bit. So tell us how uh, your journey kind of got started with the uh, classical acting in college. Yeah, so I knew growing up that I wanted to go to college, that it was a, a priority for me to go to college and get a degree. Had an awesome grandfather who grilled that in to me and, and the other grandkids. But growing up, I also knew that I was not your star academic. And for me to finish a degree program, it was going to have to be something that I enjoyed. And that narrowed it down to either theater or history. And I was able to get more scholarships with theater and get into a great school. And that's kind of what led me into the, the classical acting vein there. All right. So now you say, okay, this is, I'm going to go and do classical acting. And now was that with a, cause that was enjoyed and passion or did you want to go in and be an actor and be in movies or in plays or kind of what was the initial kind of prospects of what you wanted to do with that as you were getting the degree? Yeah, I, I knew that I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. And specifically the, the communal aspect of it. So the program I was a part of, what, I went through all four years with the same 19 uh, kids uh, at that time. So we went through and had all of our theater classes together. And I, I loved the, the community. I loved building. I loved producing uh, the theater. And, and I was thinking, yeah, after I graduated, I was, I was planning to go to London, actually, for uh, six months. I had my uh, visa all worked out and then 2008 happened and everything kind of fell apart and I had to to reorganize at that point shall we say um, and 
and that kind of shifted gears for me. But I, I was planning on on doing acting out out of college. All right. So so now you're coming out of college, saying, okay, I'm going to be or doing acting. Love being involved with the community. Housing market crashes about that time, along with a lot of other things that crashed along right. with it. So you moved back, and so I think at that point you moved back to Dallas after uh, graduating from school, and you got started in a nonprofit theater company. Is that right? With the high school buddy. Yeah, so I, I was originally planning on just coming back to Dallas for the summer and then moving to Chicago to to focus on acting there. But I had a good friend who was here in Dallas and said, hey, Joe, what would you think about starting a theater company? And I said, in Dallas? He said, yeah. I said, no, I don't want to stay back in Dallas. I, I've got plans to get out of here. Um, but it, it was amazing because all of these things started falling into place. Uh, SMU, which is a university here in Dallas, has a law program, and we were able to apply and basically get a free lawyer for a semester. Hmm. And they helped us set up the 501c3 for the nonprofit. Uh, he had some an aunt and uncle who had some wealthy friends and said, hey, can we throw you a party with our, our friends and raise some money? And all of these things fell into place. So before I knew it, I was helping to run a, uh, a not-for-profit theater company in which we were creating our own work, but we were also doing a ton of educational stuff with schools and uh, summer workshops. And, and that, that really was sort of my introduction, if you will, into running a company of, of any sort. So now, you, so you say, so okay, and that makes sense. So you get in there and say, okay, we'll start this out. We got, you know, some free legal representation, love being part of the community, think it would be a good, you know, a, a fun and a worthwhile endeavor. So you get all of that going and how did it go? Was it fun, you know, was it fun and exciting and loved and passionate and, you know, made a great business out of it and worked well with your, you know, your high school buddy <laughs> or was it a burn in flames and it was a fun idea that never made it anywhere? Kind of, what, where did it, or where did it end up from there? Yeah, great, great uh, follow up and, and honest question. For us, it was a great success. We had some big goals for ourselves and we were thinking, hey, in five to seven, 10 years, maybe we'll hit most of these. But we were able to achieve the vast majority of them within about two years. And, and some of those were putting on uh, getting in the schools and, and doing educational training for for high school students like like we were uh, because we knew the benefit that it had for ourselves and, and putting on a summer workshop uh, for the these students and creating our own work. And we brought another company in from Chicago to, to tour a show. So we, we were actually able to do almost everything uh, outside of uh, purchasing our own building. Uh, which was was the one check mark we we didn't end up doing, but for about four to five years it did really well. I, I ended up uh, getting to a point to where I had some other things going on in life that I decided to transition out. And my my friend who I started it with, he was going overseas and and wanted to teach English and see the world. So we shut it down, liquidated it, but we were able to still have I forget if it was five to ten thousand dollars at the end of the day that we were able to donate to a, another company who is doing similar work. So I, I would call it a success. All right. Well, Hey, but you put a, a check mark in the success column. That's always a win. So yeah. Now you're saying, okay, you did that for a period of time. You know, you decided to shut it down, go separate ways, pursue other things. And I think at that point you got involved with working at a small local coffee shop. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of gap in between there, but that that's some W2 work and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I ended up working at a, a coffee shop 
uh, started off at the cash register and within a couple of months had a ton of favor. And I, I was the general manager, uh, whether that was a good thing or a bad thing uh, is probably for others to say, but I, I learned a ton at that point, you know, learned uh, how to, how to run a team, how to create, you know, checklist, how to do customers and, and stocking. And th- there was so much that, that I learned during that time. But, but like you mentioned in the intro, I did eventually figure out that the best thing that they could do was outsource half of my job to a, an outside accounting firm to, to do the books and the, the HR side. And then I had a right-hand man, if you will, a young guy that I had raised up and uh, it was going to be a lot cheaper to, to give him a little bit of a raise and have him run the day-to-day operations, which he was amazing at, and fire me and save about half of my salary. And when I brought that to them, because I, I felt like it was the best thing for the business, they they thanked me and said, okay, if you're okay with it, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. So yeah, I, I, I did that and, uh, and, and lost a job. Now, just out of curiosity, I mean, because on the one hand, I'm sure the employer said, thank you for saving us money and, uh, and, and helping us to reduce costs. On the other hand, it doesn't seem to be the best if you're intending to continue to work there and otherwise or have a salary it doesn't seem like the best career move from the sense that now you're out of a job. So was the intent of, <laughs> hey, I, so what was, you know, was the intent of I'll point this out and maybe they'll keep me on or they'll be so glad that they'll give me a promotion or is it, hey, I, I have their best intent at heart. And if they, if it doesn't make sense for me to be here, I'll find something else. Kind of how did that, as you were raising that issue, how did that go? Yeah, it was, it was really, I just had the best intentions for, for them. And, and again, my heart was like, this is what's best for the company. It's, it's what you should do. There, there's no reason to, to keep paying me this money when it, it would be better for, for most everyone if, if you made that decision. And for better or worse, I, I didn't have a direct plan for myself after that. In fact, I, as I was trying to figure out what my next step was, that's when my wife said, hey, you've talked about real estate since I met you. Why don't you do that? And we custom discussed with Mr. Budget and figured out a way that I could go and get my real estate license. And, and that, that was my intro back into uh, the business world. And, and really, that's, that's where uh, my, my master's degree and, and what not to do and how to, to fail as quickly and as much as possible kicked in at that point. So now you said, okay, wife, I'll listen to the, you know, consult with Mr. Budget, listen to my wife, and she gives great advice, which our wives uh, very often do. And so it's you say, true. okay, I'll uh, go in and I'll, I'll try my hand at real estate. And so how did that kind of transition or shift go? Was it, you know, got in there, flipped some houses, made lots of money, and you're rich and retired? Or was it, you know, something <laughs> more along, I'm going to, you know, takes a while to learn the ropes or to build clientele or kind of as you're saying, okay, I'm transitioning into this next phase. How did that work out? Yeah, I, I I learned a ton because anyone I'm sure who is listening to this and has started a business, unless you went to school for this beforehand, hits that point to where you realize you know nothing. And I I had a ton of learning to do. Luckily, I, I was very blessed in that I had some, some mentors. Uh, there was another real estate agent, a guy I went to church with, and uh, he was willing to take me to coffee at least once a week and pour into me and share what he knew. And uh, he even gave me some opportunities starting off. I, I hired a coach at that point because I, I knew I needed it. 
and drank from the fire hose there, but there was still a ton of, of figuring out what, what's the difference. I, I, I didn't know that, that, that framework of a job versus a business at that point. And, mm. and I had no idea what a system or a process was. So there was a lot of failing and, and both in learning to build my own real estate business and then from there, I did get excited and started some other businesses. I, I started a flipping business. I, I tried to bring in a, a partner to build a team and, and all of that failed miserably. The flipping business, we got funded, but we never ended up flipping one home. The business partner, I ended up Now, let me ask off. just one quick oh, question yeah. because typically my, my very cursory knowledge and I've never flipped a house or been into that, but it seems like if you had the funding, there, that would be the largest impediment <laughs> to flip a house is to have the funding to go get the house in order to fix it up and flip it. So what was the reason why if you were funding, yeah. why you didn't go and flip the house? That's a very a good, a very good question and an astute observation. So yeah, we, oh, we had, I always try to make it <laughs> up. So, so yeah, I, I went into to business to, to flip homes with two other guys who I thought were, were good uh, balances to, to my skills. I thought there was one guy who had some business acumen. I thought there was another guy who was a general contractor. I, I had the real estate background. It was like, great, we're checking on the, all the boxes here. I can find the properties, get the properties. This guy can flip them over. And then this other guy can uh, turn this thing into a real business. But after a couple of months, and, and eventually what I figured out was I didn't ask enough questions going in. Mm-hmm. And, and if I was to go back and do it differently now, one, I probably would try as hard as possible to figure out a way to make it happen without having other partners in the business, like maybe partner with people, but not necessarily have an ownership partnership to where I was so rely, relied on them. Because what, what ended up happening was the general contractor came to the point where he, he said, hey, I only want to do homes that are within, I think it was like a, a 30 to 45 minute radius of his home base. And he lived in an area that he was very close to a lake, which meant a large portion of that radius was taken up by a lake. So there was a now a much smaller area that we could find properties. And as anyone knows, within the last decade in most real estate markets within the United States, it's it's been shooting up and it's harder and harder to, to find deals. And when you limit that to such a small space, when you're first starting off, it, it was impossible to find anything that met the criteria that was within that radius that we could get a good return on. So all of those other boxes didn't get checked. And eventually it was like, hey, what, what are we doing here? Um, let's, let's get honest. It's probably better that we quit wasting our time with this and, and move on. So hmm. that's, that's what happened there and was, was the lesson learned. It's not, not digging in enough before creating a partnership. Well, I think that's fair enough. And I think that it's one where a lot of times it's a lesson you, just, you simply have to learn in this because you, a lot of times you go in, oh, these the partnerships are great. We're friends or we, or, or we get along well together. And then you get into a business and, you know, businesses put different restraints on the relationship. And, you know, everybody has different expectations as far as how much they're going to work and what they're going to contribute and kind of going down that line to where, you know, the best laid plans maybe don't work out uh, quite like you had, or expected uh, when you get into that. So you're saying, okay, 
tried it, you know, had the funding, but couldn't quite work with parameters, didn't quite uh, work with the partner, uh, you know, bottom out, kept doing that for a period of time. And I think it kind of throughout that transitional period, you also got into doing a kind of a real, you're doing a real estate boot camp, and you saw a guy that was, you know, had a high level results and that kind of changed uh, a bit of your trajectory. Yeah. So uh, around this time, I, yeah, I, like you said, I, I took a, a boot camp that I signed up for with a, a guy named Joshua Smith. If, if you Google Joshua Smith real estate or podcast, he'll, he'll probably pop up. And, and he's big, muscle bound guy, bald, tattoos, cusses like a sailor. But in him, I saw someone who was consistently getting a, a high level result with his real estate teams, as well as he was taking that same knowledge and building businesses in totally unrelated fields. Like he had uh, at least two other businesses that, that had to do with, with fitness and nutrition. And so I, I knew he had something that, that, that I was missing. And I signed up for that boot camp. And during that boot camp, he really hit home for me the importance of systemization and, and identifying systems and processes to have consistency with, within your business. And that was, that was mind-blowing to me and a, a really big watershed moment that led me to start reading you know, the E-Myth and Traction and all these other books, which, which bring up and say, hey, you need to systematize your business. So that was, yeah. So, so now you say, and I think that, that, you know, I think that systems, getting systems in place can have a big impact. And yet it's oftentimes overlooked in the sense that you're just trying to run. So, hey, if I work harder, not, you know, more organized or smarter type of a thing. And I think there's a cliche because you can only work so smart and you do still have to work very hard. But there right. is a, a portion of it where you do have to have some systems and processes in place. And it uh, certainly increases the odds of having a successful business. And so now you're saying, okay, got that insight, got, you know, or got that initial mentorship, dug into a lot of books and got a lot of that information. And as you're doing all of that, creating the systems, you know, did you continue just to implement those in what you're doing with real estate or did that pivot your business or kind of where did that lead to lead to where you're now at today? Yeah, I, I did. I, I implemented that within my, my real estate business. So I identified what those key systems were. I was creating the documentation Granted, it, it took me a lot of time to to do that and figure out what worked and what didn't work well, but I I, I saw an improvement within within my own business and and eventually I, I started my own brokerage, and and was able to build up a small team to to utilize those, and and then uh, about a year or two ago I was I was running a, a mastermind. And some of the guys who were in that that mastermind who were also business owners, entrepreneurs, were having the problems of not having systems within their business. So I was helping them kind of as one-offs, just doing some consulting and helping them. And I realized that I enjoyed that more than way more than than the real estate. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of of this year, I decided to to make that into a business. And I found out about the systemology framework, which is basically a, a system for systemizing your your small business. And and that's what I've been focusing on full time now is is helping business owners get out of the day to day operations so that they can focus on what they do best through that. No, and I think that that's great. You know, and, and the better the better you get the systems in place, I think more consistent product you have. And mm -hmm. you also are getting a, a much more likelihood of success because now, if you know, if you get something done, it's done on in a timely manner, it's done right, and it's otherwise um, not, you know, 
always behind the eight ball or, or apologizing for people being late. One, it makes your business better. And two, it also, as you grow and expand, makes it easier to scale. So now oh, as you sure. transition to, to doing that system, so do you go out and do you kind of as a gun for hire, so to speak, and you go work for other businesses or do you have an exclusive clientele or do you, or how do you kind of offer that as, as a service and, and, and turn that into a business? Yeah, so I work one-on-one with, with a lot of small businesses my meat and potatoes, if you will, who I, I'm able to serve best are those business owners who have hired their two to three employees all the way up to businesses that have around 50 employees. And they're getting to that, that place where they've kind of hit that, that ceiling and they're realizing that they are, are really the bottleneck uh, within their, their company, that things continue to come back to them or they're really key person dependent. Uh, maybe they have an amazing salesperson, but if they lost that salesperson, you know, they would lose their sales department. And, and I come in usually for about three months at a time is the initial engagement. And I help them identify what those mission critical systems are. We uh, extract those from their key knowledge workers, and we organize them in a way that people can easily access and, and use, take away the friction so that their team will, will actually want to use the, the systems and reference them. And then I, I try to train someone in their organization up to be a systems champion, to be someone who knows how to identify, create, and, and update systems so that it can start to become a, a cultural aspect of the company and, and not have to be something that they continually have to bring someone else in to, to do. So, No, and I think that's definitely where I'm sure that it takes a bit of convincing for people to uh, acknowledge and make sure that it is worthwhile investment because it is an investment of both time and money to be able to get those systems in place. But uh, definitely once you get those figured out and it's interesting, you know, I work in the, the legal industry and, and help a lot of clients and I look at everything from other small law firms, large law firms I work with and the level of systems they have in place is oftentimes next to nothing. And yet it's an area that you could definitely have a lot of systems in place. And so one of the things that as we, as we started my law firm and did that a few years ago, we are continually both getting initial systems in place to automate, offload, and otherwise get a more consistent product. And what we found is one is that frees up more of our time. We can actually have more hands on or, you know, more interaction and, and human interaction with the client because we're not doing yeah. so monotonous work but two it also allows us to scale and so we're not having to bring on as many people to get the same amount of work done because we have those systems otherwise in place that allows us to accomplish the same thing with a, a, a smaller amount of workforce and so i think definitely would be a, 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 a you know a cheerleader in your camp so to speak <laughs> well as we were to, to wrap up and uh, and uh, we're we have the two questions i always ask at the end of the podcast we'll do those in just a second as a reminder to the audience we'll also do the um, uh, the bonus question, we're talking a little bit about intellectual property um, and, and have a conversation there. But before we dive to that, doing our, the normal two or questions on the Beach podcast, we'll jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? <laughs> you know, this is, I'm, I'm sure with a lot of your guests, there, there's an overabundance of options for the answer to this. I would say probably the the worst decision that that I made was thinking that I had to have a partner and I made that over and over again thinking that I I wasn't capable enough capable 
of creating and operating a business by myself simply because I hadn't done it before. And as I shared earlier, you saw with the flipping company, and then I had a, another partner that I brought on to try to build a real estate team um, who that, that went very similarly be, because of that lack of confidence. And so that's, that's, that's the biggest thing. I, I wish I had had the confidence to think, you know what, I, I can do this myself. And if I'm lacking here and there, I can go find the answer, but I, I don't need someone to hold my hand to, to do it. No, and, I, and isn't just because I, I laugh at a bit of the parallels, because when I got into the doing my own law firm and I brought on the first few attorneys, you know, the typical law firm model is, you, you know, you work for them for a long enough period of time and you make partner. And yeah. you know, I, I went through that with some of the attorneys I had, and I just kind of after kind of wrestling with it and thinking about and how I wanted to do it and what that would look like. I just came to the conclusion, you know what? I, I don't want a partner. I want some great employees. I want people that are on the team that were looking in the same direction, well compensate them, take their, you know, their input into account and everything of that nature. Want the sounding boards and a lot of that. But I just said, you know, one of the things I really enjoy about the my business, at least the way I run it is I don't have to go and I can make the decisions. I can pivot. We can adjust. We can implement. Yeah. Write things out. And anytime you bring in a partner, it, it just, for me, for my personality, I just said, hey, it, it just not, it's going to turn the business that I love into something I don't want to, or a place I don't want to work for. So I think that there is a lot of times that inherent bill or pressure that you need to have a partner. And yet a lot of times it's just saying, hey, I'm happy to do it on my own. I can have mentors. I can have employees. I can have sounding boards. But at the end yeah. of the day, I just want to do my own thing. Yeah. So, okay. Second question is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Invest in yourself, invest in yourself, whether that's reading a stupid amount of books or hiring a coach, bringing in someone to, to help and encourage you. And this can kind of go along with, with that last one, knowing that you, you are worth it. You have the ability to do this. But it it does, there are so many things that you probably don't know. So take some of your funds or set aside some of your funds and, and invest in yourself because you're, you're going to need help, but you need to invest in yourself to, to, to build this, this business. Don't give up, but invest in yourself. No, and I think that that's a great piece of advice. And Oftentimes it's one where you hear it and you say, yeah, I should invest myself and say, well, I don't, I've got too busy. I don't have time. And you know, that's where I think that finding the ways that you can invest yourself. One of the things I often do is in addition to having this podcast, I also love listening to podcasts and that's a way for me to garner a lot of knowledge and get, you know, and be able to invest at that time and getting ideas. And I'll listen to, you know, law firm marketing podcasts. I also listen to real estate marketing podcasts because they're really great. you get a good one, they're really great at sales and, and looking <laughs> at what other ways to build a business and, you know, listening at those. And I think in that investment can uh, reap a lot of rewards. And, you know, it sounds easy on the front end. Yeah, I should definitely invest in myself. But when you're in the trenches of building a business, oftentimes it gets pushed aside. So I think it's a, a great piece of advice. Well, before we jump to the bonus question, as we wrap up the normal portion of the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, <laughs> any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, or find out more? Yeah, so I, I was going to create a, a link specifically for your audience. If if they go to eijsystems.com slash inventive journey, I'll put a link up there. 
you can schedule a time. We can grab a virtual coffee, if you will. Uh, I'm more than happy to answer any questions you have or if your best friend worthy, you know, um, ask you some questions. And uh, I'll also throw a link on there to my uh, system for creating systems. And, and for those of you who are uh, at the point to where you're beginning to thinking about systematizing your business, or even if you're in the early stages, take a look at that. It's an example of how a good system is organized as well as it'll walk you through the steps. It's, it's not rocket science. So I'll, I'll throw that up if, if that's helpful as well. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to, to check out the link and uh, make those connections, whether it's a next best friend or the next best client you pick up. <laughs> definitely uh, worthwhile to make those connections either way. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. Just go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. Make, also, make sure to uh, subscribe and share the podcast so everybody can find out about our awesome episodes and hear everybody else's journeys. And last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else with your business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. So now as we transition and we jump from the, your journey to, you know, shifting gears a little bit and talking about a little bit of uh, a, a subject that's always near and dear to my heart, which is intellectual property, I turn the microphone over to you for a bit to ask your uh, number one intellectual property question. Yeah, and this would be a a two-parter, if you will, maybe get some some bonus question here. Uh, I'm curious, uh, one, is there, when it comes to like a, a trademark or you're starting a new business, a new brand, when is the time to start thinking about the, the trademarking and, and that sort of area? And along with that, so that you, you don't waste someone like yours time, is there a place to where you can easily search and say, hey, does someone already have my brand? Is this already trademarked? Should I, you know, do I need to shift gears even before I try to engage someone like Devin? Yeah, no, I think that's a great uh, two-parter question and, and happy answer. So, I mean, on the on the first point, you know, it is always a balance in in the sense that, you know, the very easiest answer is the earlier the better as far as when you start thinking about trademarks, because you're going to invest time, money, and effort to build a business. And the last thing you want to do is come to find out that either one, you know, you're, the trademark's taken and you're infringing someone else's, or two, you build the business and now somebody else comes along and has trademarked it afterwards and they're boxing you out, or you're going to have to rebrand, all of which are, are not, you know, are desirable <laughs> outcomes. And so, you know, earlier the better. Now, within that, I also get that startups and small businesses, you always have more things to spend money on than money to spend. And so you're always, you know, <laughs> saying, hey, do I make, you know, do I do marketing and sales? Do I do uh, SEO? Do I do Google AdWords? Do I do new employees? Do I do pay rent? Do I make payroll? Or do I pay legal fees? And legal fees, or, you know, legal services are oftentimes moved down the list because it's, it doesn't feel like it's quite as urgent. So, my general right. rule of thumb is, is, you know, if you're just getting a business up and going, first of all, make sure you get the business up and going because great if you get a trademark or the business never makes it, it doesn't matter that you have a trademark <laughs> or business is dead. But if you're getting to the point of the same, as you're getting up and going to where you're investing, you know, quite a bit of either time, money and effort, um, any or all of the above to building that brand, you're saying, hey, we're going to do a, a big push. We're going to do a big marketing spend. We're going to do a guerrilla marketing or any of those. And you're saying it's going to be a, a big investment by the company and such that this brand is starting to get value and, you know, people are actually going to associate the service with us. You're getting to the point where you're going to want to get a trademark for it. 
And, you know, really the rule of thumb I give is if it, you're getting to the point that if you had to outspec, if you had to rebrand, if you had to change the branding or the trademark, you had to change the name of the company. If you're saying, hey, yeah, I'll take a little bit of or money and effort, but it's really not that big of a deal. You probably haven't reached that, you know, that level that the trademark's important enough to you to mm. pursue. But on the other hand, you're saying, no, if we had to rebrand, man, that would be a pain. We've done all these efforts. We've spent all this time, money, and effort and everything else. If we had to rebrand, that would be a big deal to the company and really wouldn't want to do that. Well, but if you're reaching that point, it doesn't even have to be at that point, but if you're starting to reach that point, that's when you should consider getting a trademark. Now, if you're starting out to your, the second part of your question saying, hey, I'm just getting going, want to see, is this trademark available? Definitely you can hire a trademark attorney. And if you have the funds, I would, you know, whether it's us or somebody else, I would definitely encourage that because there's a lot of experience and things that you don't know as to whether or not this would be a stopping factor or not, that you may say, hey, somebody else has taken the same work, but it could be for completely different services or products or unrelated and it would be a non-issue and yet it scares people off. But if I also, mm. as I mentioned, get, you don't always have those funds at the beginning. So you can go to the USPTO website. Um, if you just uh, were to search USPTO trademark search, it'll pop up. You can go uh, go and they'll have just a database that you can start to search and you can at least get a general understanding of what is what other trademarks have already been filed, which ones are out there and whether or how crowded or how clear of a field it is to use the, the name of your business. Mm. So that's where I would start. And then as you were to get, you know, the funds or the budget in place, I would definitely open an attorney because there's a lot more, it's a lot more nuanced than you might think, but it's right. better to get something of, or get an initial understanding and take a bit of time on your own before you go into an attorney. So with that, hopefully it answers your question. And it was, it was a fun bonus question to, to go through. Um, and we'll go ahead and uh, wrap up the podcast again. Thank you for coming on the, the podcast. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure and uh, wish the next layer of your journey even better than the last. Thank you.